Good morning, gang. It's good to see you this morning. Hey, can we just give a shout out to Edgewood Campus who's joining us this morning? Woo! It's always good to have Edgewood hanging out with us, and uh, we uh, look forward uh, to being uh, on our Edgewood campus next week uh, for baptism celebration. Uh, but it's good to have Edgewood and also those that are joining us online uh, from a myriad of places uh, across the world. Always good to be able to use technology for those purposes, and so we look forward to that. Um, friends, uh, today, in a few moments, we're going to finish up this series called Money Matters. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I want to just kind of... Uh, kind of clue both campuses into a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, next weekend, we do have our baptism celebration, uh, but the following weekend on both campuses, we're going to have a time of uh, prayer service and Lord's Supper together, and that's going to be a very intimate and great time together uh, happening on November 5th. And the following weekend on November 12th, we're going to kick off a new series uh, called A Lasting Legacy as we look about what it looks like to leave a legacy for the next generation. And uh, it's going to be a very great series as we head into Thanksgiving. And then in December, we're going to have a series to close out the year called All In. Uh, but the awesome part about that is we're going to do that together as one campus uh, th throughout the whole month of December on our Edgewood location. And so we'll have multiple services, uh, but we'll join together uh, as we did last year at the end of the year uh, as one church and one location. We'll get to see everybody. It's going to be a fantastic time. And you can put those things on your calendar. And so there's lots of things uh, happening as we close the year. Uh, but today, uh, we're not going to focus just on the end of the year. We're going to focus on the end of this message series called Money Matters. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, perhaps one of the most famous chapters in all of our Bible around the idea of money and possessions. And we're going to close uh, as we look at it. Uh, before we do so, if you've been with us for the last handful of weeks, uh, our focus has been on a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, where Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. And in the midst of how a Christian conducts himself, you have this, this pertinent sentence there where Paul is addressing even how you and I would handle wealth or how we would think about money and possessions and these things called money matters. And he says these words. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. And then he says, doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with others in need. Now, the reason that Paul writes these things is because he is addressing how a Christian should conduct himself and what he says and how he responds and what he thinks. But in this particular subject, he says, and look, the reason that you handle money matters well is because God has entrusted to us as stewards resources to help others in need. And as we think about that idea over the, Lord's, the last handful of weeks, we just talked about in week one what it looks like to do hard work that the majority of our wealth as Americans should come from laboring with our hands as opposed to what we oftentimes can be trapped into is the get-rich-quick schemes. Uh, we don't usually build wealth for the average American because we invest in a lucrative business at the right time. 
Usually when we do those things, it doesn't work out well. And so Paul commends the early church and particularly those in Ephesus, hey, to work hard with your hands. More than that, he says doing honest work. And honest work is the idea of an excellent, noteworthy work that is honest in its approach, which means in your field or in your industry, whatever that may be, that people would look upon you and they would say, he is a man of integrity or she is really excellent at what she does. And you're not merely known for your trade, but you're also known for your character. And as you partner honest day's work with the labor of your hands, you rise as the cream of the crop in your field, in your industry, because people know that not only are you going to be where you say you will be on time, but you'll do an honest day's work and people can recommend you to their friends for an honest day work. And they'll know that they get both someone who is effective, efficient, and really good at what they do. And when you have that, it honors God. And when you think about that, it's not just um, labor and honest day work. It's that we know that it doesn't come through theft or thievery. It comes from just being God's man or God's woman in a way that even in the business, in the marketplace, God is honored. And the reason why is so that you have something to share with others in need. Now, we took week three and we just discussed this fact. If you're going to have something to share with others in need, it probably means that you should be saving something. And Paul encouraged the church of Corinth to be saving something even for the Jerusalem church. And he says, hey, you should have a plan in saving. So we talked through that plan. And then last week we talked about giving and what it looks like to be a generous giver, that God loves a cheerful giver. And so you might wonder, well, okay, well, where do we go next in Ephesians 4, 28? Well, to be quite frank, I've run out of ideas in Ephesians 4.28. Um, and so I started thinking about this. Okay, who was he writing to? He was writing to the church of Ephesus. Who was the pastor in Ephesus? Timothy. So Paul also doesn't just instruct Ephesus as a church as a whole for Timothy to read a letter to them, but he actually writes a letter to the pastor there, which is Timothy, his friend. And what's interesting in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he takes a passage here in his letter and he he just makes note of what it looks like to live above reproach in a day and time where people can easily be sucked in to not handling wealth well. And so he discusses this. And today, I just want to show you four things as practical takeaways. And as we kind of conclude this series, I think it's important to note that at the end of the year, we have a lot of things going on. At the first of the year, we're going to offer a financial class. And if this has been helpful, uh, friends, we've just skimmed the surface as the practical nature of how we can handle God's money well. And so at the first of the year, we're going to offer an opportunity for you to be a part of that. Today, I'm not going to conclude with practical tips of where to invest or how to use your money. I'm going to, I'm just going to talk to the heart today. I'm just going to be honest with you in ways that as a pastor, as a leader, as a husband, as a father, as someone, as an American can struggle a little bit with this idea of money matters. And, and just the ways that I have to be in tune with the spirit of God in my life so that I'm not overcome by my flesh, which is my sinful cravings. And so I think this text really does help all of us, including me, to just have a proper perspective and focus. And I hope that's what will help you today. Um, and so let's begin in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read verses 6 through 12. Uh, we're going to start in verse 6 and kind of work our way through the text. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, godliness is a great gain, but when we can do it with contentment, it's even better. The word there, contentment, is the Greek word archaeo. Everybody say archaeo. 
Archeo is a word that literally means contentment. That's what it means. It means to be satisfied with where you are. Now, there's a, another Greek word that's uh, autoarchaea, which is a very similar word. And oftentimes in that particular time period, it would mean to be not only satisfied, but well supplied. But the idea and the connotation of that word, autoarchaea, which is a very similar word, would be the idea that you were self-sufficient. And so what Paul is writing here to Timothy is to say, hey, make sure that godliness with contentment is great gain. Make sure that as you seek to be godly, you're content in all circumstances so that you don't believe that money, possessions, or other things make you well-supplied. That wealth supply doesn't come from your possessions, but it comes from a particular person. And so he says, the reasoning behind this is in verse seven, you brought nothing into the world and therefore as a result, you can take nothing out of the world. And so he's just giving a proper perspective. He goes, listen, godliness with contentment is great gain. Archeo, it's good when you're satisfied with God. Because you brought nothing in, you take nothing out. And so what you need to measure your life off of is not what you brought in or what you take out because you didn't do either. You need to be satisfied with God alone. Which brings me to really point number one for me. And that is simply this, that God doesn't have a problem with wealth, actually. And you'll see that even in verse 10 and other verses. But he does have a problem with misplaced worship. So God doesn't have a problem with money and possessions, but he does have a problem with misplaced worship. Now you might ask the question, what do you actually mean here? Brandon, like what, what does that mean? Well, here's the deal. Um, the last time I checked, money is an inanimate object, right? Uh, you lay it on a table, it's not gonna hop off the table and murder somebody, right? It's never done anything. And so we'll talk about that here even a bit, a little bit. It's an inanimate object. But what's interesting is, is that this one thing can in some ways lead us astray and we'll struggle with this idea of contentment, meaning that we're well supplied by our supplier, which is God. And you might go, well, okay, I feel like I'm content. How do I know? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the litmus test. How do I know if I'm struggling with contentment and godliness? And here's what I would say. Why do you go to work? Why do you go to work? Do you go to work for the purposes of a paycheck? Do you work for money or wealth? That's the right answer. <laughs> but you know, we do get sucked into that trap, right? We see money as the means of our provision and we go to work to get our provision. But if you think about work from the perspective of money only, then what you're doing in many ways is you're misplacing worship. And the reason why is because God made us, Genesis 2, 15, man to work and keep the garden. You are to be cultivators and you and I honor God in our work. And when we honor God in our work, it means that we honor him regardless of what's received. And as a result of that, we work for God. And if we're not working for God, then we're working for what? Money. And if we are looking for money to supply you and get satisfaction, then it's misplaced worship. Now you might ask the question, well, how do I know if I'm looking for money to satisfy me? Well, I would tell you this. If you and your spouse have had a conversation recently about being satisfied with a particular number in your bank account that gives you peace and security, then it might be misplaced worship. 
And there's many of us that we feel better when there's a certain number in our account. When there's a certain number in our account, then it means that when we reach that number, we have money to spend in excess in other ways, right? It's like, hey, we reach this number, or as long as we're hovering in that area, we have freedom and flexibility. I can remember having this mindset in the very early stages of our marriage. And I can remember, and maybe you're like me, um, I can remember being very secure when we had $2,000 in our account. If we had $2,000 in our account, it felt like we could make decisions and travel the world, $2,000. And as long as we had that, you know, kind of there, we felt secure. The challenge with that is that if money is an inanimate object and it can't react or respond to anything, the reality is it also cannot provide peace, contentment, or joy. And if you're looking for a particular number in your bank account to give you some sort of peace, fulfillment, or to help you sleep better, then friends, that's misplaced worship. Because at the end of the day, money can't give you security. It cannot give you purpose. And it also should not give you value or identity. And if you look around and you think, well, I need this or that to make me someone and you can, you compare yourself to others, then you're going to fall into a, a trap, which we'll talk about in a few moments. But the reality is, is you cannot find peace, value, contentment, joy, satisfaction, or any of those things in money, in a house, in a car. Quite frankly, if I were to go further, you can't even find that in a relationship. Matter of fact, there's only one relationship that will always satisfy. Every other relationship will always leave you disappointed. That's true in marriage. That's true in friendship. That's true in dating. It's true in parenting, a relationship to a child to their parent. The reality is, is because we are flawed and finite people, we always disappoint. Friends, we have more worth and value. And I would say, um, distinct purpose than money ever does, and we disappoint. But who does not disappoint? Jesus. Jesus is the only person that the closer you get to him, the more you'll be loved, valued, find security, worth, peace. Pursue him, and you won't be disappointed. Pursue people, possessions, everything else will leave you with misplaced worship. Now, I get it. It, it. You've never probably bowed down to an Asherah pole. It's, you've probably not fallen down lately uh, at a party uh, with raisin cakes to the fertility odds, right? Uh, has anybody ever made a golden calf and just thought, you know what, I'm going to spend the weekend worshiping it? No. You read Old Testament stories like that, you go, that's silly. That's foolish. Friends, listen, we've misplaced the golden cow and astropoles and fertility gods with wealth. And if you're not careful, the God who is good and good gives, gives good gifts can see those good gifts distorted very easily. And you have to be careful of that. That's why he says to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. You brought nothing into the world and you will take nothing out of the world. That's why he says this in verse eight, but... But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now, when I read that, I go, yeah, yeah, food and clothing, I'll be content. And then there's something in my heart and mind that goes, no, no, there's no way. 
Like there's more to life than food and clothing. Like surely, right? I mean, and it might be different for you, right? Like I like food, clothing, hay, cows, barns. I mean, for you, it may be like I like, I like food and clothing and nice restaurants and I like the party scene and I like being somebody. I like these vehicles. I gotta, there are certain things in our life that we care about that lead away from contentment. But the reality is, is Paul is saying, look, if you have your daily provisions, then you are actually well supplied and you should be content in daily provisions. And the reason why is because contentment is when you're totally satisfied with who you are in your relation with God, regardless of external circumstances. And that's point number two, be content to enjoy what God has given you. The theologian, Adam Clark, he said this, and I'll put it for you up on the screen as a quote. He says, it requires but little of this world's goods to satisfy a man who feels himself to be a citizen of another country and knows that this is not his rest. Now, when you think about this, if this is not our home and we are commended in scripture to set our eyes on things above, not on earthly things, then the reality is, as Clark says, you should require very little to be satisfied here if you have a great big God. And if you find yourself waning, then that should be a warning. Because in your waning, you see the warning of how you are now competing in some ways with a God who desires your affection. And if you're not content with what you have and you desire more, then you are fulfilling the very words of Jesus when he says, you cannot serve both God and what? Money. And the reality is, it's something that you have to pay attention to because as an American, it's entrenched into our culture that you are to be prosperous, that you are to be free. And in many ways, you are to be, what? You are to to be fulfilled and you are to have all that you need. That is the American dream. And so people leave their homes, countries, other places to come here in order to have what you and I are not satisfied with. And as a result of that, Paul writes in a culture and he says, listen, you need to be in content to just enjoy what God has given you. You're not nothing into the world. You take nothing out of the world. So enjoy food and clothing and the daily provision of God, which is oftentimes difficult for us, right? When's the last time that you woke up in the morning and you said, Lord, thank you so much for the provision of my air condition. I bet I hadn't entered your prayers in a decade. It hasn't mine. Matter of fact, I was awestruck in the first service. It just popped into mind, not in my notes, just popped into mind. The only time I complain about AC or hot water is when I don't have them. Amen. And what's interesting is, is I live in a land when I don't have them, I can go and find a machine to produce them very quickly. And what's interesting about that is that most of the world does not have those two provisions. They don't have running water, much less hot water and they don't have AC or heat in their home. And it is something that I am oftentimes not content with, don't even think about. Which is what leads me to this thought of just Psalm 100. Like, how does this even fit into a message about money matters? Well, let me read it to you. It just says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Friends, you can only do that when you're content with what you have. 
it moves from this idea of greed to gratitude. It's the idea that you would say, look, I, I am thanking God for his provision in my life, as simple as they are. And I don't know about you, but I think it's important to take pause and just to thank God for some of the simple provisions that we are not content with. And I'm going to do that now. Um, I, I, I figure if uh, I can thank God for other things, I might as well thank him for my AC and my heat that seems to year after year work. Um, and it's an amazing thing. And so let's just do that now. What a simple provision to thank God for. Heavenly Father, you tell us in your word that you are the giver of good gifts. And we don't think about good gifts um, often about even the means in which you give us in our own houses. Hot water, running water, AC, heat. Lord, what is man that you are mindful of us? Like, we don't deserve any of these things, but yet you give good gifts. And they are a reminder that you are a gracious God. But Lord, forgive us where we distort the good gifts. And we are not even thankful for the very things we should be content with. We always desire more. So Lord, forgive us for this desire to just keep acquiring. And help us just enjoy what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. And when I think about that, I look out in the morning um, from a mobile home. And uh, I see just the provision of God in my life. And I'm like, I'm so thankful for it. I don't know what your back window looks like. I don't know what it looks like if you were to look out one of your windows. But when's the last time that you just took a few moments and said, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. I'm content. I'm satisfied. Not because I don't desire more, but because you are all I need. And if I don't ever get more, Lord, help me to be satisfied with you and you alone. And so I just pray the Lord would help us. That's why Paul continues on. He goes, listen, you should be content with food and clothing, but he goes, there's a wrestle. He goes, there's a desire to be rich. And it's the desire to be rich that causes people to fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, outside of desire to be rich, in my Bible, I just put in parentheses, those who lack contentment. If you lack contentment, you desire for more, right? And so you, as you desire to acquire more, you desire to be rich. And rich actually is a, is a standard that's different for all of us, right? Uh, rich means oftentimes for us is that we would just like to double our income. And so right now, maybe you are an income earner of forty dollars or $50,000. You would say, you know what? If I could just double that, I would be satisfied. There are other income earners in here that you make 75,000. You go, yeah, I would love if we could just double that. If we made 150, I'd be satisfied. There are other income earners in here that you make 100 or 200,000. You go, man, if we could just double that, then we would be satisfied. See, the reality is, is rich is not an actual number. It's an attitude. It's when you say, I am not satisfied with my current number. I don't find peace or purpose in what I have in my bank account. If I had more, I think I would be fine. And Paul says to Timothy, hey, warn against that. And the reason he warns against that is because even the Old Testament writers tell you that love of money and possessions will not satisfy. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, uh, Solomon likely writes, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with income. This is also vanity. Matter of fact, when you think about vanity, Paul writes the word in... Um, 1 Timothy 6, he goes, it's like a snare. And the word snare there is the word pogis. 
Um, Pagis literally means to be entrapped or to caught in a device in which you cannot get out of. It's as if a hunter is going to trap an animal. And as a result of that, it's your desire to have more that traps you into senseless and harmful desires. And they all lead to destruction. Uh, Destruction means death. It's a trap that does not fulfill. You can desire more, but it will not satisfy. And so for that reason, when I think about this, I have to ask the question, well, what tempts me to desire more? And I would say it's when I get caught into comparison. And so I would just encourage you to avoid that. Avoid comparison. It's when I look around at my friends. It's when I entertain conversations with my kids. And when they say, you know what? I don't have what they have. Why do they always get, why do they have this and that? And I look around and I just go, hey, listen, buddy, I I can't give you that. We don't have the means to provide that. Now, here's what's interesting is as we think about comparison, we oftentimes don't think with reality. And here's the reality is, yes, there are many of our friends that have things we don't have. But one other important thing to note, that many of our friends who have things that you and I don't have also have another thing. And they have a guy that shows up on their door month after month, and his name is Bill. They have bills. And the bills just keep coming. And what happens is, is that if you plunge yourself into the desire to be rich, it's harmful. And the reason why is because it takes you away from the very design purpose that you have. To be content in all things means that not only are you satisfied with God, but it also means, as Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, hey, you work hard so that you might have something to share with others in need. And friends, we don't share with anyone in need because we desire to be rich. And as we fall into the trap of temptation of being rich, we also, we get into a cycle where we have lots of stuff, barns full actually, and we have lots of payments to follow. And as a result of that, it robs us of peace and joy and security and contentment. And it leaves us with many pangs that lead us astray. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know why a lot of Americans don't go to church on Sunday? Because they're working. They're working. Now, this is a whole other subject and Sunday, and I actually have no conviction about going to eat out on a Sunday, and others might, and that's okay. But the reality is, is we're going to leave here and we're going to encourage people to continue to work. But why are they working? To pay bills? To find purpose? To find peace? To pad the bank account for security? I don't know why they're working. But can you see how if you're not careful, comparison will lead to a place where it traps you. It ensnares you. And not only does it ensnare you, it rips away your your joy and satisfaction, which is why if you remember in the Old Testament, God gives commands. He gives 10 big ones, uh, which the Jews have no problem making into 613 other ones. Uh, As a result of that, though, one of those that he just warns them about in Exodus chapter 20 is this. Verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, a decade ago, I would have read that. And I'm like, why in the world does he want an, his ox or a donkey? Like, what? like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, if you have a wife, why do you want his wife? Like, but then I just start recounting in my mind, like, oh, wait, I mean, 
You know, maybe back in school, you, you had a girl that you pursued. Maybe she was taken, but you're like, you know what? I mean, they're not married. And there's just something innate in us that's produced at a very early age that I want what they have. It starts with tennis shoes and go-karts. And it just begins to produce. Now, when I see ox and donkey, like, I wouldn't have been able to even compute that. Like, I would have thought SUVs. I mean, I lived in Dallas before I moved out here. So SUVs, big house, I don't know. I mean, jet skis. I mean, there, there's things that we compare, right? Now, I would say successfully in the last 12 years, I have migrated back to being an East Texas redneck, okay? Let me just explain it real quick. We'll take a little quick time out just to entertain you, okay? Um, I've been out of high school longer than I'd like to share now, 20 plus years, uh, getting close to the 25th anniversary of being out of high school. And um, what's interesting about that, I can remember going to our 10-year reunion. I was serving at a church in Dallas, lived there. We came out and uh, we're surrounded by our friends. Some of them are going to hear this first time. So it's kind of confession of sorts. I'll have to give answers later too. Um, but I, I was there for a couple hours and I was like, this is such a drag. I'm leaving. Okay. I'm like, I didn't desire some of the things that they desired. Uh, but I oftentimes would run into conversations. Like, hey, where are you, man? And, and they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm still in Will's Point. And back then, if you knew my heart, I didn't want nothing to do with this place. I wanted nothing to do with Van Zandt County, worst roads in the country, uh, not Texas, the country. Um, and, and then like I had some other bitterness that kind of resided there. And then as I entered these conversations with the old high school friends, you know, it's like, I'm like, hey, where are you living? And then I, it just all of a sudden it would dawn on me, like I want no part of their life because they would say, well, you know, I'm living down the road. You know where the Neils used to live? And I'm like, um, Neils. Well, yeah, okay, so you're going to go down uh, 3801, and at 3801, you're going to take a ride on 3804, and there, there's a, there's a mailbox there. It's got, it kind of looks like a treehouse, um, and, and right there, there's a pasture cows right there, and you're going to take a ride right there. The pasture cows, you're going to go down, there's a blue house on the left, and at the blue house, you're going to see some cattle pens right there. And just beyond the cattle pens, there's like a little private road right there. You're going to turn left on that private road, and I'm like, What? I'm like, can you not just give me an address like 2908 Ferndale? That's all I need, you know? MapQuest wasn't even a thing back then. And I just remember leaving. I'm like, I am not one of them. I'm not one of them. And then the Lord does something, right? In humility, he just, he's like, no, you're going to be one of them. Because <laughs> so I'm reading for this message this week, and I'm like, I look out my, my mobile home window, and, and here's the deal. Like, I look at a pastor... And I'm like, Lord, I would love another cut of hay. <laughs> Lord, will you fill these cattle pens up with more cows? Like you own the cows on a thousand hills. All, you know, like bring me some, Lord. And I'm like, it just, it just hits me. I'm like, I am one of them. I'm one of them. I don't know what it is that you compare to. Hay, cows, pasture, home cars, children, the Lord says, be careful. And the reason why is comparison is the thief of joy and gratitude. If you are looking to acquire more, you lead yourself into a snare and you cloud your eyes from being able to see what the Lord has already given you. And so be content with your, your marriage and seek to build into it. Be content with your family and shepherd them well. 
Friends, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Or listen, if it is, it won't be long before you eat all of it too. If you're a consumer by nature, you will consume all that you have and you'll never be satisfied. And so Lord, would you help us to be content with grateful hearts? Would you help us to know that comparison is going to lead us to debt that will not bring purpose, peace, or satisfaction? That's not the way God intended you to live. He intended us to live simply depending upon him. Simple is not the same for everyone. And you need to make note of that. But if someone can build and give and be all that God wants them to be, then they may look different than you. And you need to be okay with people looking different than you. Be content with what the Lord has. Here's why, verse 10. Here's, here's the, the verse that's oftentimes misquoted. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's the idea. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You'll hear it quoted. Money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Money doesn't jump off the table and hurt anybody. I've never seen a golf club hurt someone without being in someone's hands. So yes, can you use a golf club for purposes that are bad? Absolutely. Can you use money for evil things? Yes, but in and of itself, it's not evil. It's the craving that's evil. Verse 10, it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We're not meant to live chaotic lives chasing another dream. Although when you were born, you were born into a place where you were taught to chase your dreams. It just doesn't bring satisfaction. Matter of fact, it reminds me of a fantastic parable as we kind of wrap up our time together this morning. In Luke chapter 12, there is a young man that comes to Jesus and he wants his brother to divide his inheritance with him. And this is what uh, the person in the crowd, Luke chapter 12, verse 13 says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? Like, I'm not gonna settle this dispute, but I'm gonna give you some advice. And look what he says, verse 15. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, well, I'm going to do this. Here's a good idea. I'm going to tear down my barns and build large ones. And there I'm going to store all my grain and all my goods. So he goes, okay, I had such an abundant harvest this year. I got nowhere to store all this stuff. Instead of building one extra barn that would help, I'm going to tear down all my old barns and build all new bigger barns. Does that sound familiar? It happens pretty easily. Now look, here's what's interesting. And I'll say to my soul, verse 19, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now let me ask you a question. Was the problem that the guy had too much excess and abundance? Was the problem that he built too many barns? Or was the problem where he put his trust? You see his response? I have all these things. I have all this room now. And it leads me to a place where I'm fulfilled. 
I can relax, enjoy comfort. I can eat and drink and be merry. Look what I've done. Look what I've built. See, the challenge is, is that this, this young man in this parable is a guy who's built bigger barns, filled them to full, and his purpose, his value, and even his security is on the number of barns and how full they are. And that's the problem. The problem is not that he has barns. The problem is not that they're full. The problem is his response. My worth and my value is in a number. My worth and my security is in this identity. It's what I have. It's who I hang with. And the problem is, if that response of what you have and who you hang with is different than Jesus Christ, then everything else is going to leave you empty. Matter of fact, Jesus responds by calling him a fool. He says, you're a fool because this night your soul is required of you and the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He goes, yes, you got all this stuff, but if you find peace and purpose and value in this, then you've been left out of where peace, purpose, and value really come from. Because this you didn't bring into the world and you won't take out of the world. And as a result of that, you'll be empty because when the day of judgment comes, you're not going to be able to say to the Lord, Hey Lord, look what I built for myself. And Hey, look what I had and look at all these barns and look at this business and look at my successful family. And man, check out that clean car, man. My car is always clean. That was for one person in this room. That's it. One person. <laughs> and they know who they are too. You know why? Because they're always razzing me about my dirty vehicle. And when you're on stage like that, you can do stuff like that. That's cool. It's awesome. It's probably for more than one of you, really. Here's the deal. You, you got to make sure that your purpose isn't coming from the, from the wrong place. And more than that, that the end of your life, that things that you think are important aren't burned up. And that there's something lasting in the end. And that is what Jesus is talking about. <laughs> And friends, if we're not careful, we'll miss it. That's why Paul closes with this thought with Timothy. Hey, don't get trapped. Don't get ensnared. But, but, he says, oh man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life, what you were called, about which you made the good confession, the presence of many witnesses. So he goes, hey, realize you don't find purpose through possessions and your value is not in stuff because that's vain. Your value is being a man or a woman of God who flees the world and the thought of it bringing security or peace or value and pursue hard after God. Pursue hard after him. And this would be my final encouragement to you this morning. And that would simply be this. Friends, pursue the Prince of Peace and not possessions that you hope will bring peace. Now, who is the Prince of Peace? See, peace is not merely a grand idea. It's not just an allurement. It's not euphoria. It's not like, oh, it's just something I'm hoping to acquire. No, the scriptures tell us in Isaiah that there is the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor. We celebrate him at Christmas. 
He's the Messiah, the one who came to reconcile sinners to God. He is our peace. And God makes peace with sinners through the blood of the Prince of Peace, the man of Christ. As a result, when you pursue hard after him, friends, possessions are not what you hope will fulfill. And you just need to be careful if you find your worth and your value and your satisfaction in those things. That's why Jesus says these words in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's just about having the attitude of gratitude. It is about beginning each day and just asking the question, what am I grateful for? Lord, what things today do I have that are a gift from you? And am I content with that? Lord, help me. So I think this is our prayer as we leave on this Sunday afternoon. And it's simply this, Father, help me not to put my hope in riches, but in Jesus who loves me richly. Lord, guard my heart because if I'm left to my own devices, I'll go astray. Lord, help me to confess the subtle ways that greed rules me. Help me to bring to light the things that I'm not satisfied in. And Lord, help me to find my delight in you. Lord, help me to bring to light the ways that in comparison, I grow bitter, discontent, or judge others because I believe them to be one way and I don't actually know the facts. Just be careful because when you're not content, it leads to many pains ruins and destruction. Man, I can see it in my own life. And by God's grace, he's helped me to walk in obedience towards him. Even though I am tempted and sometimes my temptation gives way and I'm lured away into poor thinking and more than that, poor responses. And so may the Lord help us, right? May the Lord teach us not to put our hope in riches but in the Lord who loves us richly. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the last five weeks to talk about money matters. We didn't talk about how to become rich. Lord, and the reason why is because we're not rich in money. We're rich in love. And we're rich because of the grace and kindness of our benevolent, steadfast God who met us as sinners and brought us into a new life with you. And Lord, we are rich. And so Lord, help us to be content in what we have, knowing that this life is not our home. Lord, I'm reminded of David in Psalm 39, where he just says, our, our life is but a hand breath. And he says, and we go frantically about chasing things acquiring without knowing whose it'll finally be. Lord, if we get to take nothing with us, I pray that the things we value most are the things that last forever. And I pray that you would help us to know that there are things that in eternity will be commended and last forever. And so Lord, we know it's not treasures on earth where rust and moths destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But Lord, it's our love for you and our love for others. And so may we desire to impact people more than we desire to be impacted by possessions. We love you and we need your help.
And today we ask that you would be king of our lives and you would help us to be grateful for the things you've blessed us with, like food and water and clothing and the simple things in life that we take for granted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, guys, let's stand up.